Let's ride! The newest part of collegiate rugby is the level of investment we're seeing from colleges and universities. I don't specifically have the answers to a lot of those questions. Yeah, I've got the biggest biceps of any collegiate coach in American rugby. Um, it's not an easy feat. So. Play out of their socks that whole tournament. Bit of a weird one, bit of a curly one. You know, it gets the, gets the energy going for training. I'd call it opportunities. Right, and where we're empowering our students to really like decide what kind of people they're going to be, but also give them the tools to build the kind of environments they want to live and work and play. That's only going to make rugby better, which makes us all better collectively. Welcome back to our second episode of Pathways, the Free Jacks podcast looking at the rich history and exciting future of rugby in both America and New England. Today, I sat down with Josh Macy and James Willocks, both leaders and coaches of collegiate rugby. Now, Josh is the head coach at Lindenwood University and former collegiate All-American Sevens head coach and has graduated numerous players now playing at the highest levels in America. James is currently Dartmouth Rugby men's head coach, former collegiate All-Americans 15s head coach and technical advisor at our very own New England Free Jacks. Our conversation today explored their experiences at the collegiate level and what their role is in providing student-athletes the tools to develop on and off the field. Have a listen and enjoy. Let's ride. It's the top. It's still going. Flicked field. It's Champagne Rugby from the Free Jacks. Let's ride. Welcome, Free Jacks Nation, to episode two of Pathways. This week, we're very topical with the collegiate draft just around the corner, and we're very lucky to have the men's collegiate All-American 7s and 15s coaches, Josh Macy, and James Willocks, respectively. Fellas, welcome along. Um, we've got Josh joining us from the Lion King movie and James from DRFC. Josh Macy, how, how are you, mate? I'm good. Just, uh, you know, living the slow, easy life out here in Missouri. Uh, excited for the guys to get back and get going again this coming school year. Good, man. And James, how are you? Wonderful, mate. Wonderful. Just... Uh, same boat as Josh, living in the in the woods up here and enjoying what New Hampshire has to offer, and crossing our fingers that we can um, we can have some sort of activity come fall. Brilliant. And Josh, aside from being collegiate All American Sevens head coach, you're also obviously head coach as you mentioned at Lindenwood University. Can you start by telling us a little bit, kind of about that journey, your coaching journey, how you found the game, how you fell in love with the game, and now sort of your day to day role as a coach. In America? Yeah, so like most Americans of my generation, I started playing rugby when I was in college or at university. Uh, you know, backgrounds, like varied sporting background, football, basketball, you know, all the, all the normal good-hearted American sports that we play. And uh, rugby kind of got, got under my skin and uh, I always worked with students and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time in a, a small college in Massachusetts, AIC was looking for a full-time coach to start a program. Uh, I was just moving back to the States and uh, had just done a lot of development work in rugby and it was just right place, right time. And now I've been a full-time college rugby coach for about 10 years. Awesome. Good man. And James, obviously alongside being Collegiate All-Americans 15s head coach, so we're lucky to have you both on and kind of share experiences between the two codes of the game. You're also Dartmouth Rugby's head coach and technical advisor for the Free Jacks. Can you sort of elaborate, mate, on your journey to get 
getting to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I think Josh sort of had a great sentiment there. It's right place, right time. And, and it is a lot of that. Um, I sort of took a, a leap of faith. My background's a little bit different, obviously born and raised in New Zealand. Um, I took a, a leap of faith probably six years ago now to, to come to the States and, and try something new in an internship here at Dartmouth. And um, that has that, that's worked out. I've got to work with some great people, some great students, um, and had some great experiences. Um, and that's sort of, that's led me to the Collegial All-American stuff for the past few years, Dartmouth, and um, very lucky to have the opportunity to work with the Free Jack. So it's, um, it's, it's a, been a very cool journey. Um, I'm very thankful that I did jump on that plane and decide to come here. Um, a wife and a couple of kids and a great house and a um, great program. I'm in a good place. Good man. No, well, thank you very much to both of you for joining us and very excited to kind of get really stuck into collegiate rugby and sort of the pathways. And we talk about pathways being the focus of the podcast, pathways both into the collegiate game and then out of the collegiate game into um, the major league rugby and the professional game, whether that's international or otherwise. Um, cool. So between you both, could you provide some, some oversight as to what the collegiate game on the men's side actually looks like? How many programs are there? How is that split up and divided? so on and so forth. What does that actually look like and where are you guys fit inside that puzzle? It's a very good question. That's a very good question. And I don't specifically have the answers to a lot of those questions. Number of programs, lots. Lots and lots and lots and lots. Um, how are they striated, divided, if you, if you will? Um, I guess there's multiple different divisions um, right now, there's actually sort of a, a movement to restructure a lot of those divisions in collegiate rugby. So it could even look slightly different in a couple of months' time. I mean, Josh, is, Josh and his program are probably a, the, the top four, three or four in the, in the country. Um, and then there's, um, a, again, sort of a, it works its way down in yeah, groups, of, groups of hundreds, I guess. And each institution is very different and even the institutions that Josh and I work at are, are very different and each institution has its challenges. Um, some are able to provide more than others. Some want to provide more than others. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's what sort of experience do you want as a collegiate rugby player? And then I guess it's going and finding institutions that can provide that along with whatever your academic interests are. Cool. And then Macy, your, what your sort of take on that, I guess. Yeah. So, so in the top division of collegiate rugby in America, there's about 70 teams. Um, but there is quite a bit of overlap in quality between, you know, those teams and the level below. Uh, and, you know, a lot of team, a lot of times teams end up in a, in a division uh, because of who their natural rivals as a, as a university are. Uh, sometimes they end up in that division because of geography I mean, and it, unfortunately, you know, it, it doesn't, there's no, you can't exactly pin down what a team's quality or resources is like, is like because of the divisions, you know, we have, there's division two teams out there that play a, a great standard of rugby. Um, then you have this, you know, D1A and D1AA, you know, there's D1AA teams that play a great standard of rugby and have great resources. So it's really incumbent for the, for the rugby fan or for the prospective student athlete to dig in and get to know programs uh, that they do have interest in to talk to coaches to talk to current players because unfortunately there isn't just uh you know an easy label to, to give programs you know yeah and obviously you guys have both been in positions where you've been selecting from the programs 
how many programs do you guys look at as being the 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 strongest competition, both competition wise and in terms of the individual schools? Where are you guys picking from? How many schools do you look at and think, yep, we're going to get some talent from those schools? I mean, from a, from a 15 standpoint, the reality is you've got to try and look at them all, right? Because the reality is, is that there's, there's diamonds everywhere. And I mean, the name that comes up when you talk about that is Paul Emmerich, right? I mean, one of the most capped Eagles, small school, Iowa wrestling background. He was one of those diamonds in the rough. Um, so you try and look everywhere. That being said, it's we've, we have found in our experiences that the students who do perform the best come from those top Division One programs like Life, like Lindenwood, like Cal, like St Mary's, Navy, Army, keep going. There's, there's probably 15 names you could throw in that. Programs that have really consistent daily training environments. Um, I think that's probably the biggest difference is the, the level of the training environment. And, and, and Josh is a great example, right? It's awesome that he's here. I mean, you look at the training environment that those guys have week in, week out. I mean, they compete at, at least from a physical standpoint, as close as the professional level as they can get, right? And they can quantify that through GPS. So you, you've you got players who can handle the pressure, who can handle the physicality. Um, so we did find that majority of our players did come from those, those big schools. And it probably becomes self-fulfilling at a point too, because you've got young students who really want to progress, who are already good rugby players, who go to those institutions. So it does become self-fulfilling. That being said, there still are those diamonds in the rough, if you will, but it is a real challenge to unearth them. And yeah. to piggyback off of James, it's a challenge for, you know, let's say a student, the diamond in the rough, or even the student who's making a decision who wants to be a big fish in a small pond. You know, oftentimes they just, they just won't get the reps against the quality of the player. You know, if you look at scores do tend to be uh, pretty lopsided in college rugby, save for a few leagues. And so if a student is playing one competitive game a year, two competitive games a year, that's, that's a big difference between having a very tough training environment, as James pointed out, uh, where you're going against other good players in training, and then also playing, you know, good, solid competition week in, week out. And, you know, there, there is a limited amount of schools that do, that do provide that. Now, there's a lot more aspiring to it, and that number has grown incredibly over the last 10 years in college rugby. Uh, 10 years ago, our program didn't even exist, for instance, right? So um, not to say that other other teams aren't achieving that and working towards that, but right now it is pretty limited. Yeah, and, and Mason, you spoke about 10 years ago, Lindenwood, the rugby program didn't exist. So can you tell, talk to us a little bit about the success over the last few years of your program and the sort of key contributing factors that have allowed that success to kind of take over from your point of view? Yeah, so I think a, a big thing for college rugby programs is, is being able to provide whatever your institution is interested in. You know, and in speaking with our athletic director, he he's looking around in, in, in our market, which is like the St. Louis metro area, what sports do we have that make us stand out, right? And, you know, oddly, there's no, like there's no football in any other university at St. Louis. So, so we love football and we really back football. Rugby, there's there's not a, there's a great rugby community here in St. Louis, and we really want to be the cornerstone of that, right? And we can a, attract people to our games and attract uh, a, a engagement on campus and recruit great students who maybe wouldn't look at Lindenwood otherwise, um, you know. And and so, but other institutions need other things, you know. If if you uh, if if you're at a school uh, like Clemson, they probably don't care 
you know, that the rugby program is doing well, but maybe they want to see parent and alumni engagement, right? And, and schools need a lot of different things from their programs and the college program would be wise to, to investigate that. And, you know, James, you know, they have a great community up at Dartmouth and they, you know, years and years and years of alums. And, and I'm sure the university or the college really loves that. Right, James? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's like, um, see, we've, we're slightly different. You're sort of a 10 year progression. We're a seven year progression. Actually, this falls due to be a 70th. Um, and I, that's a really good point. It's right. We, we look at it as what can we contribute to our college right and conversely the conversation is, is what then can they contribute to us but we sort of look at it as like we'll bring in really well qualified individuals who are hopefully not only going to be really good rugby players but also make a difference to the Dartmouth community and then go on and make a difference and when you look at some of the recent alumni it's um, it's pretty special to be a part of. And, and I know for me you know being a younger program whenever I get to interact with uh, James in, in his program or other programs like that I'm looking around to see what they're doing at year 50, year 60, so that I can start doing those things now. You know, I, you always see the old match programs and stuff like that. I save every scrap of paper because I'm like, well, when I have a, you know, a fancy clubhouse like Dartmouth one day, we're going to need stuff to hang on the walls and like this is going to be it, right? And uh, programs do have a lot to learn from each other, you know, despite us being in different colleges and universities, different kind of uh, training ages, so to speak, as a program. Uh, there's a lot we all benefit from each other. Nice. And I, and I guess you probably may, may uh, raise a good point there in that rugby in this country, although in some parts it, it isn't new at all, and I'm talking about the Ivy League and schools like Dartmouth and Yale where the game's been around for over 100 years, James, and actually before yep. football came around. Yep. Um, for the rest of the country it is, but in terms of the, the collegiate game, it is relatively new. And that's probably reflected and sort of how rugby is played at the collegiate level, would it be fair to say? I would say the newest part of collegiate rugby is the level of investment we're seeing from colleges and universities, especially um, like medium to small colleges and universities that are looking to attract students that they maybe wouldn't have had access to otherwise. College rugby is still, uh, is, is pretty old, right? It took hold in the 70s in America, but it was very social. It was very recreational. And, and that certainly reflects uh, like the, the standard in America, right? The fact that it does have its root in this sort of social countercultural game. Uh, all of these rebels without a cause, you know, who, who wanted to do something other than football. Um, you know, th there's a new wave that which are programs like mine and, and others around the country. Nice. And, and I, we were talking the other day about the women's game and we'll have another podcast looking at, um, at the women's collegiate game and the women's game in general, but there are 20 varsity programs in the women's game, which can obviously be really beneficial in terms of that investment into that sport. Um, I guess, can you talk about how that, the game differs between the men's and women's in terms of it being a club game in the men's and varsity in the women's briefly? Yeah, I mean, this is probably specifically to, to us here at Dartmouth because our, our women's team have just gone uh, varsity two years ago. Josh, I know you guys have been varsity for a little bit longer than that. But um, I, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I think the, the reality is is that the model that they've ad adapted is really wonderful. I mean, you look at how, at least at Dartmouth, you look at how we've progressed over the last four years and we've got an incredible staff. Katie's done an amazing job. She's recruiting A-class students and A-class athletes um, who are going to go and represent the U.S. in the Olympics, 
which is which is very very cool. And I think that to Josh's point before, that's a reflection of the investment, right? And we've got some institutions that have decided to make an investment in that. Um, and I think we're going to see the fruits of that labour massively in the next couple of years. Yeah, great, cool. And so the next part we'll go into is coming from the high school game to the collegiate game, and obviously you guys are both working on your recruitment at the moment. A, how can players upskill and find a high school that's going to best kind of suit them and their development to getting into a strong collegiate program? And B, getting into the collegiate program, how does that differ between, you know, your colleges and colleges in general? What should students be looking at from both of those points of view? Well, I think making sure that the, like the academics and culture of the university itself is going to be the utmost, you know, important for any student. Um, you know, there are, there are going to be kids that can hack it at a place like Dartmouth, and there are going to be kids who are better suited to attend like a Lindenwood or, or, or a comparable academic institution, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to have a better or worse college experience. It's just a better fit. And after that, you can start talking about, you know, fitting into the rugby program. Um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, we just, we want to see kids who, uh, who clearly love the game who do one or two things like pretty well uh, and, and are just eager, right? Just having that eager mentality. It's, it's difficult. High school rugby in America is very part, participation based, right? As long as everybody's there and is having a good time, then everybody's happy. Right. And um, I would say if, if you were to poll our guys, like that's not always the case when we kind of go to the darker places in training sometimes. Cool. And we've got a couple of, uh, at the moment, the projects are running an IDP, so an individualised development plan series. And one of the students or athletes, uh, student athletes rather, in that series is Chris Wallace. And he's a guy who's just signed for you guys. And at the other end of that spectrum, we've got Dion Whitesell, who's now with the projects. I guess, can you speak a little bit about, you know, that process and that journey Chris is about to go on and, and Dion's journey outside of the, the collegiate game? So for a lot of what stood out uh, with us for Chris is, um, you know, like BC High's high school program is a great program, but it was very evident that he was doing more than what was required of him. You know, he, he was active in his powerlifting gym and in his powerlifting community. You know, he's pursuing the Free Jacks IDP. Like this is a student who really cares about like being well-rounded and successful. And man, that's, that's an easy decision for us, right? He's going to, you know, he's going to come in, we're going to teach him how to play college rugby at a high level. Uh, he's going to bash into a lot of people at a really effective rate, and he's going to become a good college player, you know, and uh, Dion, in, in a similar respect, you know, I, I started coaching Dion when he was a sophomore, and he was, again, he was a very athletic guy who really cared about improving himself in lots of different ways, right? Uh, and, and now, you know, he, he used his college time to become more well-rounded as a player, uh, always in my office, you know, saying, can I try this position? Can I challenge myself with these skills? You know, he's like learning French on the side, you know, he's doing all these little things because he just wants to improve himself. Right. And there's a, there's a lesson to be learned there for a lot of players. Cool. And we, yeah, we're stoked to see Chris, obviously, like you said, a dynamic hooker and he's willing to learn and he's going to do great things in your program, Macy. So we're excited to see his development kind of take hold and, uh, moving into the, the next the next point, and that's the draft coming up this weekend. Um, and there's 200 plus kids that have that have enlisted in the draft, and there are only going to be 24 selected. So, 
can we use this next segment to kind of talk about what is the jump like from collegiate rugby in general to the to major league rugby? What's mm-hmm. that level? What's that jumping level like? And then B, how can we sort of work to diminish that level and make sure that that jump is less uh, more seamless as a whole? Well, I've never coached an MLR team, James. You, uh, what do you got over there? Yeah, I mean the the, sh- the short answer to that question, Tom, is that it's big, right. The jump is collegiate age players with collegiate experience to competing amongst them with professional players. I mean, you look at some of the guys who are on rosters last year, but guys who are fresh off World Cups, right? And that's a that is a big, big difference. And to sort of go back to where we started, like we talk about, there is this tier, if you will, of sort of I guess it's competitiveness within the collegiate game. And that's, you even take the top couple of teams, it's still a big jump from the top couple of teams. You know, Cal, Lindenwood, St. Mary's life, like that jump is, is still big. And I mean, we, we got firsthand experience of, of some guys who were some great college players and they did a great job in the MLR. I'm not saying they didn't perform in the MLR, but they will self-admit that it is a big jump. It is a really big jump. And that's sort of, I was having a conversation today about sort of a lot of our learnings from the, the traditional collegial American pathway. And most of the time we'd come out of those camps going, we just need more. We need more high performance environments. We need more really competitive games. You look back at a, a tour we took to Australia in 2015, 16. I mean, half, not half those, more than half those guys are currently in MLR or playing sevens or have played for the the, uh, the men's 15s team. And that was our big takeaway is that we just need more of those games. Um, and I don't think there's enough of them. So I guess like, and there's a, there's a great initiative by the Free Jacks to build this academy. And I mean, if that's a way to create another high performance environment as an opportunity to upskill these players, to bridge that gap, if you will, I think that's a, a tremendous positive. Yeah. Nicely explained. And I think we, you keep coming back to daily training environments and what we need at the major league rugby level is more daily training environments that are comparable and more competition. We you've got, you've got games like the likes of life first Lindenwood games that, you know, wouldn't be out of place in a country like New Zealand, Australia, or England. Um, the level is really high, really strong. And we need to, you know, have players seeing those pitches and being exposed to those sort of pressures at a more regular basis. Cool. Um, so, yeah, moving on, I guess just to, to touch on that a bit further, from our point of view at the Free Jacks, James, and I'm sure you agree, agree with me, what we're trying to do is to provide an academy system that is going to develop players and their skill sets and develop them physically while they're going through their rugby journey, hopefully exposing them at a really young age. And then they go through the academy system, they play their high school rugby, they're playing some regional academy rugby, and now we've got 13 franchises across America that are hopefully doing the same thing. They go into amazing collegiate setup, like what you're running, Josh, um, and then they can kick on and it'll be an easier transition because what we see now is guys that find the game so late, don't we? I would I would say, like, that's really not to be a shill for the free jacks, right? Like, you know, but that's one of the reasons when I first saw the IDP program, I was I, I was really interested in it because a lot of a lot of kids are missing out because the academy systems in high school or the regional academy systems we have are like are expensive and America's a big country and it, you know, it, it goes, um, it, it takes a lot of family resources and, you know, we find good players every year who 
you know, haven't been able to do those things because they don't have the personal resources. And, you know, to use technology to bridge that gap to where you're not having to get in a plane every weekend, but you can get sound coaching advice and, and go back to your, you know, your rural team or, you know, outside of a major metro area and, and get good advice on how to approve. I think, I think there's a ton of value in that. Um, and even if, even if they are missing some of those opportunities that they have to pay to play in, that the technology enabled solutions like an IDP are, are going to be huge for a lot of students. Yeah, absolutely. Awareness of the game and yeah, ability to kind of see pictures and, and learn about the laws and stuff that they may not learn until they reach a environment like yours. Right. And then, but uh, just, just to piggyback off that time, like it's, I think part of, part of this sort of notion of this academy, collective academy system is, is bridging the gap. But the other part of it is, is plugging holes because again, like Josh and I come from institutions that are able to provide strength and conditioning, to provide medical, to provide those things. And a lot of institutions aren't. Mm. Right? So it's, it's if we as sort of collective rugby coaches can provide this to students to help better prepare them for either the collegiate game, the high school game, the professional game, that's only going to make rugby better, which makes us all better collectively. Nice. So essentially it's a regional govern a governing body where, you know, well, so it's a regional development pathway where students of all ages have access to resources, yep. be it strength and conditioning, learning about the game school development. Yeah. Cool. Less, less, less governing body. I wouldn't call it a governing body. I'd no, call let's it, not. I'd call it opportunities. Yeah, let's yeah, not call it It's providing opportunities. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, like, the and reality it, is, is that... The, sorry, Josh. Uh, anybody can provide those opportunities, you know. Uh, so uh, you have a free jacks in Boston. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as that in the St. Louis metro area. We host high school coaches all the time. They come in shadow. It's an, you know, an open door policy. We, we coach their players in our summer camp programming. You know, we, anybody can make themselves a resource, you know, in, within their communities. And, and again, back to the, the IDP, it's not limited to, to students in Boston. A kid that lives in San Diego could, sorry, Legion, but, you know, could very easily sign up for that program, you know, if they were interested in it. And it's a, it's a pretty unique situation. Nice. All right, lads, we'll get into the fun stuff now. So we've got a quick fire segment week to week. And we'll start it with asking for your favorite memory as a collegiate coach, be it at the university or All-American level. I'm sure Josh has got to pull through about 15 different championships he's won recently. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. And um, it, this is going to be very cliche initially, um, and that it's watching the students graduate. Right? As cliche as that sounds, I mean, the reason we're here is to provide an experience to get them to graduation. I think that's watching these, these students we've got here walk across the stage of four years of really hard graft. I mean, we're an Ivy institution, and we balance a full, essentially a full-time rugby training environment on the side of that. Um, it's not an easy feat. So seeing them graduate is, is pretty huge. If it was a, a pure rugby-related moment, um, there's, there's a lot. Um, I'd probably go back to, uh, and it's not, this wasn't a championship, wasn't it one of our Ivy championships or, or anything like that. It was our um, pool game against Kudstown CRC two years ago. Um, played outside, pressure was on, Kudstown were favourites for the tournament. Um, and we clicked, and the boys went out and, and put on a clinic. Um, and I think we ended up beating them by 20-odd points, um, which was, was pretty cool. And to even I just met with some of our seniors just recently, 
Um, and, and a lot of them expressed that that was one of their favorite moments too. So just to see the, the culmination of their hard work was pretty cool. Now that sure was a uh, hell of a performance and I don't think there was a restart that Dartmouth didn't win in that game. In that same tournament, Josh, I saw uh, Nick Feeks in action for the very first time in Lindenwood playing some pretty good rugby. Yeah, so we then, I mean, we kind of uh, dreamed up what we wanted our sevens camp to look like. And that was the first year we felt like we really got it right. And it was a combination of, you know, we, we just felt we had prepared them physically and we had the right players. And yeah, the guys just played out of their socks that whole tournament. Uh, I think we, we beat uh, UCLA in the final that year. And um, they knocked us out in double overtime. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember uh, sitting sitting up in the stands and consoling James. Yeah. Yeah. I've got over it completely. Completely. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was a that tournament was great for me, and uh, I, that was probably I would say the best group of players I've ever coached. Um, you know, and then to, to pivot back to the personal side of things. Um, uh, like I'll, I'll always remember like the first uh, player wedding I got in, invited to, um, you know, for like my wife and I to go and, uh, you know, meet, meet players, families that were in town and everything like that. Like there's a, there's a certain like special, you know, we, like we form really tight relationships with these guys and to know that it does extend beyond the walls of your campus or beyond the, you know, beyond the touchlines is, is important, you know? And, uh, you know, just recently, like I, working with a couple of like local guys, um, you know, seeing one of my players at a like a demonstration and him just running up and giving me a hug and like carrying on, like just knowing that we're doing more for these guys and, you know, just coaching them is really important. Um, and it, it's nice to win championships along the way, but it, it lets you know, you know, that what you're doing again is is worth a lot more than that. Absolutely. No, I think it's a testament to you both the way that, uh, you're both renowned around the country for not only the way that you teach your rugby programs, but also treat people. Um, so I think that's a, a pretty awesome thing for you both. Uh, the next one, uh, let's go to you, Macy. The first time that James said to you, I've got the biggest biceps of any collegiate coach in American rugby. What were your thoughts on that? It, you know, it was a long time ago and it was probably within 30 seconds of us meeting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't met anybody else who has bigger ones. So, fair, fair play to James for just coming out, being honest, being his true self, and uh, you can't blame somebody for that. That sounded like yeah. envy, if you ask me, Tom. No, I'm <laughs> working on these bad boys, mate. We're staying well below the screen level here. <laughs> no, uh, cool. We'll move into the next one. And one of our mission statements at the Free Jack, Free Jacks, as cheesy as it may sound, is to make the world a better place. And we truly believe that through rugby, we can do that. Um, a bit of a bit of a weird one, bit of a curly one, but one thing you guys are doing at the moment to make the world a better place, and it may be a little tiny act you do day to day. James changing the nappies, Macy changing the nappies, or maybe something at a greater level. Um, let's let's hear it. No, I think that's a really good conversation, particularly in the times we're going through now, um, with all the injustices that have been happening and, and have happened for a long time. So, I guess what what we're doing is we're having the tough conversations. Right, is, is we're asking, what can we do? How can we help? How can we be better? Um, what do we need to change? I mean, to, to make sure that we're a completely inclusive environment, that there's, there's no bias, that we can, 
we can we're sort of a, a place for everybody. Um, so we're having these tough questions and we're making our students, we're not making our students, we're encouraging our students to do what they can, right? Think about how they can contribute, how they can make a difference because, I mean, we're, we're all going through a, a very interesting time in history right now and, and I think it's um, it's it had to happen, right? It, it, it had to happen and um, we're the ones and, and we're in leadership positions, right? Josh and I are in, in leadership positions. So how do we guide our young men through this? And um, we're having those conversations. We're providing opportunity for guys to, to have their voice heard. And I guess the, the tough one is, is we're trying to come up with solutions, right? I mean, we're going to graduate men um, from Dartmouth who go on and do great things, right? And, and if these guys then have the opportunity to impact society as a whole, then that's a massive victory for us. Awesome. Well said, and Josh. Yeah, and, you know, as to what James is saying, you know, people in times like these, they don't, they're looking for leadership, but that's, that's not enough. They're going to they're gonna look at how you lead. And, you know, are, are you the one standing in front of the room, uh, you know, issuing statements that you have no business stating, like without taking an honest look at yourself, you know? Or are you going to sit down next to people and uh, have the honest question or have honest conversations like uh, James, you know, was talking about? And, you know, in speaking with our students, you know, I had a student approach me and say, uh, coach, we need a statement. Like, we got to put something out there. And I was like, well, let me know when you find somebody qualified to write one. Uh, and maybe we can get that guy to put one out for the team. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we had a laugh about it. And but we sat down and like we wrote it together, you know, and, uh, and we, and I wasn't really interested in putting something out into the world, but I sent it to our players because that's who really matters to us. Um, you know, and it, and it, you know, started some good conversations and things like that. Uh, and, and I think, you know, James and I are the arbiters of our respective environments. Right. And, and we're the ones who decide whether or not your previous life's hardships or head starts matter in your environment right um and and we can do a lot of good as, as james said by by modeling you know not just leading but leading in a way that is empathetic that is inclusive right and where we're empowering our students to really like decide what kind of people they're going to be but also give them the tools to build the kind of environments they want to live and work and play in, you know no i love that well said josh and we'll lift it back up a little bit now and, and go to our second to last question, which is your favorite free jack and why? James? Oh, well, that's what I, no, 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 no. My favorite free jack and why? Eric Anderson, obvious reasons. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for, for me, uh, going, going over the, the squads from this year, it's probably got to be uh, Tig Leader. A Lindenwood guy, and you know I'm a company man. And the uh, now, but right when I got to Lindenwood, he was transitioning out of the squad, and uh, he really leveraged his own relationships with the players that we already had on campus. We had this insanely talented group, and uh, I got to spend some time with Tig and uh, getting him uh, to kind of put put his own reputation on the block, like for me as a coach really helped us like get things in line and, and really set us on track for where we are now. So I'm, you know, I'll be thankful to Tig for that forever. Yeah, no, I can care with that. He's very sincere. And who's, your, who's your favorite free Jack if you're going to stitch us up? Yeah. 
I think 90% of, of the Free Jacks would probably, it would be hard to look past John Poland. Uh, <laughs> yeah, quietly spoken, um, goes about his business and, and scores tries at the same time. So not Has, to say that it is that, but uh, it would be, yeah, I think, mate, you've, you've gone for a very clever answer there with, with Eric Anderson, so I might follow suit. Has your nutritionist taught him to eat veggies yet? Is the question, next question I have for you. And the answer there is probably no. JP, eat your veggies. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is an issue though. Whatever I'll work on for him. And our last question here, lads, is uh, we are constructing a stadium playlist um, for the stadium of the Free Jacks next year, be it Union Point or otherwise. Um, we've had some good, good songs thrown out there already. Uh, if we could grab a song off you both to echo around the stadium. Um, for 2021. Uh, mine would be uh, Brandy by The Looking Glass. Good classic rock tune, gets the people going. Good sing-along song. Uh, listen to it a lot in the office. You know, that that 2.30, that 2.30 time frame where you're a little drowsy from lunch, you got to have a coffee to bring it back up to get out for training. Throw on some uh, classic rock and, you know, gets the... Gets the energy going for training. It's I've like, never heard of that, but it sounds very you, Macy. It does sound very you. I, was, um, I don't have a reason why, but as soon as you said that, like without even thinking, the song that popped into my head, and it's odd because like, it's a good song, but I'm not a big fan of it anymore, is ACDC Thunderstruck. Again, very cliche. It was like, that's the one that just like went straight there. That's so right. someone's obviously done that, and it's resonated, and it's stuck in my head. Um, I actually probably wouldn't be my choice, but for some reason that's the, the song. That you could, you could definitely up. sell a few IPAs uh, when Thunderstruck comes over the over the There, you go. there you go. No, nice job, lads. And then, um, James, I mean, it might be a, a conflict of interest for you here, so I'll leave you out, but a topical one for the week. Macy, who's your number one pick? Who's your number one draft pick? Who goes first this year, from what you know? Who goes first? I think... If I'm if I'm running an MLR team, I go for an American, uh, so I don't use my foreigner resources. I go for a Ford uh, because you need a lot of them, and I go for height because that is rare. So I think I would probably say Casey Renaud from Cutstown. Uh, he's you know he is a New England boy originally. Maybe you guys should think about that, Free Jacks. I tried to recruit him back when I worked at AIC. It didn't work out. He ended up going to Cutstown, but loved my personal re uh, interactions with the kid from a great family. I mean, I think he's I think he's a pretty good prospect. If aside from every Lindenwood player declared for the draft. Well done and well thought out, Macy. No, well, so both of you. Look, it's been a pleasure having you both on, and you're both men who are going to be at the forefront of rugby for the next 10, 20, 30 years in this country, and are going to be leading it wherever it's uh, going to be going, which I'm sure is upwards. So, fellas, thank you very much for your time, and um, I look forward to seeing you around the traps. Thanks, mate. Thank you, guys. Uh,